I grew up in gangs and got married, tried to be good, but eventually I got into the drug cartels selling drugs. Real life starts now. This is Real Life Radio Show with On Lay. I felt alone. I felt lost. I felt scared. Real stories. I was so desperate in living such a dark and callous life. Real people. I was thinking there was no purpose for my life. There's no reason for me to be here. Real problems. I told my dad, if you try to take these drugs, I'm going to kill you. One solution. God. Hope is a person, and his name is Jesus. And now your host, On Lay. Hi, this is Evangelist On Lay. Welcome to the Real Life Radio Show, where we're going to talk to real people who had real problems, but found answers in a real God. Lately, we've been talking about the drug problem in New York City, where cocaine traffickers are moving tons of kilos of cocaine through New York. And it's a very big business with so much money in it. There are Colombian, Dominican, and Mexican drug trafficking organizations, or called DTOs, and they're operating in New York. And much of the drugs coming through New York are imported from these organizations. But can someone from one of these DTOs have a changed life in Jesus Christ? Well, in our last show, Herman Mendoza shared with us how he got into gangs at the age of 13, and he was a very troubled youth. He shared with us how he started taking heavy drugs like cocaine and heroin after his gang friend was shot to death by a rival gang. Today, he's going to share with us how he got into one of these DTOs or drug trafficking organizations and how bad it really got inside that organization. Herman, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. Herman, it's great having you with us. And it's kind of scary that I'm interviewing someone who was a gang member, then a drug trafficker. But let's really find out what happened when you're in there. How did you get sucked into the drug trafficking organization? So in the 1980s, obviously, cocaine was a big problem across America, Mm. in particular in big cities like New York. And so everyone was getting involved with using cocaine. It was a celebrity trend, if you will. They wanted to use this kind of drug, cocaine. And so everyone wanted to be sort of cool. And that, in a way, attracted me to this lifestyle. Mm, Interesting. And in the late 80s is when I really started to take interest and to get involved in this kind of lifestyle of uh, drug trafficking. You know, I used to see them with expensive vehicles, $140,000 vehicles and homes and this lavish lifestyle. And so I wanted a little bit of that. I was married at the time and, you know, I wanted to make things right with my family. And eventually I was laid off. Oh, no. And so I was just interested in making this fast money. And that's what happened. I, you know, contacted my brother and said, look, I want to get involved, but I don't want to distribute or be on the front line. Yeah. So what did he have you do? Yeah. So then I went to this apartment, you know, that had a lot of uh, security measures in place. As I entered, there was lots of cash on the floor. There was two counting machines. The television set was blasted to muffle the sounds of the counting machines. <laughs> there was two MAC-10s. And he said, look, I want you to count this money, put it into denomination, and stack them up and put them in the laundry bag. Oh, my gosh. And I said, okay. So I did that. And there was $1.2 million in cash after I counted the money. Just sitting on the floor all over the place, like Donald Duck, you're like swimming in money. I'm swimming in money. Oh my gosh. Here you have some Hispanics in a Jewish neighborhood, this nice high-end building coming down the stairs with laundry bags. Oh my gosh. And they paid you how much to do that, just to count money? Around $10,000. Okay. 
Wow. At that point, I was like, I'm in. So I started to immerse myself even further in the drug world. And I was not just counting money, but I was setting up points for distribution and bringing drugs in from Colombia and other parts of the world. So you're doing deals. And that's where the drugs are coming from. They're literally coming from outside of the country, pulling in through New York. Is that right? That's right. Millions of dollars are passing through my hands, thinking I was on top of the world. Oh, my gosh. So you're making money. What kind of things did you experience being part of the drug cartel? So, you know, it was a well-organized organization, obviously. Hmm. We had things in place, and all I was doing is just basically counting the money, making calls, and say, hey, pick this 100 kilos over here, pick up 50 kilos in this state. Wow. And so I had people working under me. So you're kind of disguised as a business owner, yeah? Exactly. You just look like a very successful business owner. Yes. What did you tell people when people would ask you, like, where are you getting all this money from? Just that. It was under the guise of a construction company. So I said to folks, I'm a businessman. I'm an entrepreneur. I own a construction company. I own properties across New York and other states. Wow. And that's how people saw me as, as a businessman. But behind the scene, I was obviously trafficking hundreds of kilograms of cocaine. Oh, my gosh. Okay, that, that's crazy. And then you're married at this time. I'm married. I have three children. Does your wife know? My wife knew what I was involved in, but she didn't want no play. She didn't want no involvement, obviously. So I made sort of an agreement with her and said, look, I'm not going to bring anything of that world into my home. Wow, man. So no one knew. Basically, my wife didn't know the ins and outs of the operation. Oh, my gosh. So it's kind of like a double life. And I understand it was like a double life, like where it brought girls around you, parties. Tell us a little bit about that. Every day I would wake up around 12, 1 o'clock, drink alcohol from beers to liqueurs to champagne, Jeez. and then head to the clubs, different women, party life, hanging out with celebrities, thinking I, you know, I'm on top of the world, and limousines having drivers drive me around. Jeez. That was the world that I was living in. It was all this big fantasy, this big lie, trying to appease the inner self. And in the long run, it was just you know, destroying me, obviously. Well, I mean, were you happy? You know, I was not happy. It seemed that I was enjoying myself, Okay. but I wasn't enjoying myself. It was just trying to mask or hide the pain, trying to be someone else, meaning trying to be this big figure, this leader where I have people under me. And it was just a whole you know, masquerade of just lies and deception. Wow. Now, did you witness a lot of violence around you when you were in the cartel? You know, during the late 80s and the 90s, there was a lot of homicides in New York City mm. due to the drug cartel world. Yikes. You know, thank God I've never experienced, you know, someone trying to kill me or that I had to, you know, take somebody's life. Thank God that never happened. It was a well-organized and structured organization. But mm. all around us, you know, as you read in the news, there were obviously, you know, killings and homicides Jeesh. because of narcotics, because of the sale of narcotics. Wow. But I understand for you, eventually, you were forced to live as a fugitive away from your wife, away from your friends, and you were hiding in bars not to be arrested. Tell us a little bit about that and, and how you felt during this time. Yeah, so my first conviction, I got busted with 32 kilos of cocaine. It, met, it hit the news, media. They picked it up, $3.8 million of drugs seized, two brothers arrested. Wow. And the mayor of the city was uh, Mayor Giuliani. Oh. And so they're cracking down on drug dealers and drug lords. And I was facing a lot of time. And eventually, with negotiations with my attorneys, got three to nine years of incarceration. And I was in Rikers Island, notorious jail. And then eventually went to a program called Shock. 
It's like a military style program. Yeah. And there is when I made a promise to God and said, look, I'm not going to consume alcohol, but this is what I said. And it was just stupidity and ignorance on my part. I said, God, if you allow me to be released from prison, I promise you I'm not going to drink alcohol for six months. Interesting. You're making this deal here. I was trying to negotiate with God, but I was eventually released on the first conviction Yeah. after I finished my time. And I went right back in to the sales of narcotics after the six months of sobriety. I said, I'm going to celebrate the end of my sobriety and I'm going to go drink alcohol. And there is when I encountered one of my old associates and he was now controlling over a ton of cocaine. And that's how I got back into the sales of narcotics. And there is when I became a fugitive. Herman, let's stop here. Thank you so much for helping us to understand truly what happens inside of these drug cartels. Thank you so much for sharing how bad it got. I'm very curious about how it all eventually turns around. Thanks so much for joining us, Herman. Thank you for having me. Don't go anywhere. There's so much to talk about right after this short break. Did you know that just $10 a month can reach up to 1,000 more listeners to our show where their lives can be inspired and transformed by the power of the gospel? We need your help. We are a nonprofit ministry and we need your support today. Let me tell you how God is using this show to touch so many hearts. We often hear how someone was just driving in their car, heard our show, and related to someone's story, and God touched their heart. They received Jesus into their life that day. You can donate to our ministry through our website at www.therealliferadioshow.com, where you can make a one-time donation or make a monthly commitment. You can also support us by getting our merch through our website. You can buy t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, mugs, and more. Every donation helps, whether it's $3 a month or $100 a month. Thank you so much for your support and prayers. Now back to the show. More Real Life starts now. Welcome back to the show. We're going to go deeper into what you just heard. So what do you think about this? It's sad to me how there are massive amounts of drugs pouring through New York from these other countries. It seems like Herman learned an easy way to make lots of money. After all, it was seeing the money, being around the money that really wrapped him into this whole lifestyle. I bet when he was younger, he never thought he would be a violent person ever, you know, like dealing drugs, eventually running for his life as a fugitive. But simply what got him into that? The love of money seized his heart and opened up the future to the way it was for Herman. You know, in ancient scriptures, it's written in 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And it just reminds me of the moment when he was surrounded by all that money. And, you know, he was just there to count it, but he ended up being sucked right in. He saw it. What was going on in his mind during that time? He's probably like, you know, wow, look at all this money. I can make part of this. This could be my life. And I think that was the moment when the devil tempted him and boy, he got it. Now, I'm not saying money in itself is evil. It's not. It's the love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil. That means there's all types of evil in this world, but many different kinds of evil are rooted or caused by someone's love for money. Money itself is not a problem, but the love of money will eventually cause some type of corruption in your life. Look at Herman's life. He was trying to be a good man. He was trying to do the right things for his wife. He got married, being a good guy. But eventually when he was in that room, it was enough to just pull him right in. From that one moment of loving money, that dream to have it all, 
It led him to evils such as violence, revenge, destroying other people's lives, so much more. But it's not only Herman who has or had a love for money. If we take a moment to really reflect in our lives, I think you'll be able to pull up a time when you saw the love of money lead you to say something that you would never say, or maybe to do something you would never do. What's the secret? One thing to think about, money will never love you back. Will it? Have you ever thought about that? When you love money, and why do people love it? I think it's like, what can money do for me? But money will never love you. Money will never fulfill you with love. And that's the trap. Because only love can fulfill you. And only God is love, not money. And when you love God, well, you can't love money. When you love God, you see, you're going to find all types of goodness that pours into your life. Where are you at with this, beloved? Has money ever gripped your heart? Lord Jesus, I'm praying for the person who's saying, gosh, that's me. I feel like even I'm in a place right now that I'm not doing horrible things like, you know, being a drug dealer and all this stuff, but I do have this in my life. I love money. It's making the decisions in my life. Lord Jesus, help us to make you the Lord because you'll guide us so much better than money. Lord Jesus, we surrender that to you. We repent of our sins. We turn to you, Lord Jesus. Come into our lives and change it. We ask for this in Jesus' mighty name. I hope you're blessed by this testimony and I know that your life was touched. If you want to know more about us or to make a tax-deductible donation, please check us out at www.therealliferadioshow.com. See you next time. Thank you.